The Seahawks entered Sunday's home finale controlling their own playoff destiny, but thanks to the steel curtain, that's no longer the case. I'll be breaking down a disheartening loss at home to the Steelers on our latest post-game edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, live here from Lumen Field with our weekly post-game edition of the podcast. A special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Bellevue or across the country in Richmond, Virginia. Greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. This Post-game episode is brought to you by Price Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use the code all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Heading into Sunday's home finale at Lumen Field, the stage had been set for the Seahawks to control their own destiny. All they had to do was win their last two games, and they would be guaranteed one of the final two wildcard spots in the NFC. Standing in their way, though, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were in a very similar situation, coming in with the same record at 8-7, and seven, they were battling for their playoff lives against the Seahawks today. And unfortunately, they were the only team that looked like everything was on the line. The Seahawks came out flat particularly on the defensive side of the football, missed tackle after missed tackle. This has been a consistent issue for the Seahawks defense all year long. The last two weeks, they were able to cut down on those missed tackle numbers substantially in wins over the Eagles and the Titans, but old bad habits reared their ugly heads today, particularly early in the game. The Steelers rushing for over 160 yards in the first half behind Najee Harris, as well as Jalen Warren. Their one-two punch, the Seahawks just had no answer for them, whether they were running between the tackles, running outside. They were racking up a bunch of yardage after missed tackles in this game. And the Seahawks just didn't seem to find their rhythm. And Pete Carroll, Julian Love, whoever you were talking to after the game, nobody really had a clear, concrete answer for what the issue was for the Seahawks, why they couldn't get ball carriers to the ground. But it's not like they were playing an offensive juggernaut either. The Steelers have had one of the worst offenses in the NFL most of this season, though last week they did put up more than 30 points against the Cincinnati Bengals. They have seemed to figure things out with Mason Rudolph under center, George Pickens making big plays on the outside. But the run game has really been a struggle for them most this year. But this was the opponent to get it going against ever since week six, which coincidentally is when Duchenne Nuosu went down with a season-ending injury. The Seahawks have the worst run defense in the NFL, and that trend continued today. They look very much like the team that finished near the bottom of the league in run defense a year ago. The success they had early in the season, that proved to be a mirage, and that continued today. You look at the numbers against the run game. The Steelers racked up 202 rushing yards today against the Seahawks. They had four explosive runs of 12 yards or more. There was an 18-yard run by Jalen Warren that was the first touchdown of the game where he basically 
pulled out a couple of nasty jump cuts and made the Seahawks whiff on him. Ended up finding the end zone. There was a 23-yard run by Najee Harris later in the game. Warren had a 23-yard run on the very next possession after his first big run where he seemed to break a tackle from every defender that was on the field for the Seahawks. They just could not wrap anybody up and get them to the ground in this football game. And maybe that shouldn't be a surprise because the Seahawks entered this game, according to Pro Football Reference, as number five in the NFL in total missed tackles this year. It has been a persistent problem for them, but they had double-digit missed tackles in the first half alone in this game. I didn't have an exact tally. I started to lose count midway through the second quarter, but this was a game where they may very well now jump to the top of the league, and that is not a category that you want to be number one in. There's a lot of defensive categories. Unfortunately, the Seahawks rank high on the list where they don't want to be, and today's game magnified a lot of those issues, most notably the missed tackles. And of course, the explosive plays came back in this game as well. The last two weeks, the Seahawks were able to cut down on the explosive plays. It isn't just in the run game. They gave up nine plays that would – be considered Pete Car- by Pete Carroll as explosives, whether that's 12-yard runs or 20-yard pass plays, 16-yard pass plays. They gave up nine of them in this game. And again, this is not an offensive juggernaut. It's not like they were playing against the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes has a full stable of receivers or the Buffalo Bills or one of those elite offensive attacks. The Steelers came into this game with 13 passing touchdowns for the entire season, which is one of the worst marks in the league. And yet Pittsburgh came out and put up 468 yards of offense. They accumulated 25 first downs. They hit the football for 37 plus minutes in this football game. And then you add in the nine explosives on top. This wasn't just a game where they grounded and pounded it and just sustained long drives they had those big plays those chunk plays sprinkled in and that allowed them to have the success that they did they converted almost 50 percent of their third downs they had a couple of fourth down conversions in this game as well all the things that the seahawks needed to do on defense in this game they weren't able to do they didn't produce any turnovers that to me was a huge part of the game plan going in can you get some pressure on mason rudolph and force him into some bad throws They had one sack on him, and it felt like the rest of the game there was very little pressure on Mason Rudolph when they threw the ball, and they did a great job taking pressure off him, running the football 27 carries by Harris for 122 yards. He was that old-fashioned blue-collar back, and really the Seahawks just didn't have an answer for him in this game, and it's too bad on the other side of the ball. I've mentioned the time of possession discrepancy. Geno Smith had a fumble in the fourth quarter that he lost at the 16-yard line. Ultimately, that doomed the Seahawks in this game. But Geno Smith played really well. The offense played really well for most of this game. They just didn't get enough opportunities because the defense could not get off the field. And that has been a theme of this season. If the Seahawks could have figured that out, they might have had a few more wins this year. But as they've done time and time again this year, they couldn't get off the field on third downs. They missed a bunch of tackles. They gave up explosive plays. All the problems that have ailed this defense all year long, they came back to the roost today. And the Steelers were able to take advantage of that with the best offensive output that they have had all season. And now the Steelers at 9-7, and seven, they haven't clinched a playoff spot, but they've certainly helped their chances. On the flip side, even with Geno Smith leading several scoring drives, 
the Seahawks didn't get enough possessions on offense, and now they're 8-8, eight and eight, and though they are still in the playoff hunt, this is a demoralizing defeat. They are going to need significant help next weekend, along with winning in Arizona, which is not a given. The Cardinals upset the Eagles today in Philadelphia. That is going to be a challenging road contest to close out the season that is not a gimme especially with Kyler Murray back under center. The Seahawks got to win that game, and they're going to need some help from other teams because, as Pete Carroll lamented after the game, they had this opportunity in front of them where they could control their own destiny, take care of their own business, and not have to worry about what everybody else is doing. But just like this time last year, they're going to go into the final weekend needing some help to sneak into the postseason because they couldn't find a way to win this football game. So anyway, you slice it. This is a gut-wrenching defeat. The season is not over, but uh, this dramatically lowers the chances of the Seahawks making the playoffs, especially with the Rams winning today. The Rams clinched a playoff spot. They had that tiebreaker winning both divisional games this year against the Seahawks. This was a game the Seahawks needed to win, and unfortunately it slipped away from them. They're going to be hoping for some help next week, a little bit of luck in other games, and taking care of their own business. But if they play like they did today, the Cardinals racked up over 200 rushing yards against the Eagles in Philadelphia. They're going to come right out wanting to run the football as the Steelers did today. If the Seahawks cannot play 10 times better defending the run, it ain't going to matter next week. So this is a difficult loss any way that you slice it. Coming up next, I'm going to dish out my game balls, even in defeat. There were plenty of players that had solid games for the Seahawks today at Lumen Field. I'll have game balls on offense, defense, and maybe special teams. That'll be coming up next year on our post-game edition of Locked On Seahawks. This post-game edition of Locked On Seahawks is brought to you by Price Picks. Price Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, and it's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. You don't have to worry about battling thousands of other players, including pros or sharks. You pick more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll in. Price Picks is really simple to play. I can make my submissions in less than 60 seconds, and now the basketball seasons here you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league for example i can have clay thompson and dk metcalf at nine and a half three pointers plus receptions and prize picks also offers a reboot policy so your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second that player gets reboot rebooted prize picks offers the only daily fantasy sports platform injury insurance policy out there. Price Picks is an absolute blast each week, and it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without any hassle and land quick winnings. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked in NFL and use the code locked in NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com slash locked in NFL and use the code locked in NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the post-game edition of Locked On Seahawks Week 17 edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. 
Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first-ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. The Seahawks had a prime opportunity to bolster their playoff chances. They were controlling their own destiny going into Sunday's matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that is no longer the case. After a 30-23 defeat to the Steel Curtain, Seattle now sits at 8-8. Eight and eight. They're outside of the wild card picture. They are going to need help next week, plus a win over the Cardinals to get into the postseason. It's a very similar script to last year when they beat the Rams at home, and then the Lions helped them out beating the Packers at Lambeau Field to punch their ticket for the playoffs. They're going to need some similar theatrics to happen outside of their game in Arizona in order to get to the playoffs. Looking back at this game today, obviously it's a very disappointing performance, particularly on the defensive side of the football, where, quite frankly, this defense looked disinterested. They were lethargic. The missed tackles, the blown coverage assignments, just not playing with the urgency that you would expect from a team that was playing for a playoff spot. The Steelers were the only one that looked like they really wanted this football game, most of the game at least. Offensively, the Seahawks were able to get some things going. So let's get to the game balls, shall we? And as I mentioned, this was a game where the offense played much better for the Seahawks than the defensive side of the ball is. There really weren't any standouts on special teams either. This was one of those weird games where there weren't a lot of special teams plays to begin with, with the Steelers having a lot of sustained drives. The Seahawks scoring on most of their possessions. There were a few punts for Michael Dixon. You had your field goal kickers, but this was really a game that was decided on offense and defense. For the Seahawks, my first game ball here, and I mentioned it earlier, I know that Geno Smith had a pivotal fumble in the fourth quarter that the Steelers ended up getting a field goal off of. That put them up 10 inside five minutes to play. The game was basically over at that point. So fans are going to point the finger at Geno Smith And yes, you want to see him get rid of the football quicker. But if you were watching this game, he had magnificent pocket presence for most of this contest. The first scoring drive that the Seahawks had, TJ Watt, we know the weapon that he is coming off the edge, came in leading the NFL in sacks going into this game. He had a straight beeline for Geno Smith, and somehow the veteran quarterback was able to evade him. He stepped into the pocket, hit DK Metcalf for a 33-yard completion after buying himself some time. Then on the next possession, after the Seahawks had scored to make it 7-7, the Steelers got a field goal. Smith again has a pass rusher that was coming after him. It was Isaiah Loudermilk from the interior this time, and he's able to somehow avoid that interior pressure He extends the time in the pocket, and then he finds Noah Fant for a 21-yard reception. For much of this game, it felt like Geno Smith had eyes on all sides of his head. He was doing a fantastic job of moving the pocket, and then he showed that his groin injury looks to be a thing of the past with a 25-yard scramble in the third quarter where he was running from one side of the field to the other and it was really an exciting play. He had the longest run the Seahawks had all day on that play. And so you got to see the mobility coming back. You saw the pocket presence. And I know everybody's going to point to that fumble, but Geno Smith completed almost 70% of his passes. He threw a touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jig, but he led two touchdown drives, back to back touchdown drives in the first half. 
He was slinging the ball over the place. They had a bunch of 20-plus yard receptions. He averaged almost nine yards per attempt in this game. Geno Smith was far from the reason they lost this game. And if the Seahawks offense could have gotten a few more opportunities because the defense was able to get a couple more stops, then I think they absolutely do win this game because the offense was clicking most of the afternoon, even with some of the injuries they had in the offensive line. They were moving the ball up and down the field. They had some issues on third down. They didn't finish in the red zone a couple of times. But I felt like Geno Smith played a pretty clean game aside from that fumble. It's unfortunate that that's what's going to be remembered here. But there were a number of plays where he was able to get away from pass rushers that were extremely impressive. He was masterful in the pocket, and he moved really well in this football game. He was throwing the football over the place with Great arm strength, great touch. That touchdown pass to Smith and Jigba firing it between two defenders, lofting it in there. He made a lot of big-time throws in this football game. Another receiving end, I'm giving two offensive game balls because the offense was really the best part of today's game. I'm giving DK Metcalf the other game ball. First off, congratulations to Metcalf, third time in his career that he eclipses the 1,000-yard mark, had over 100 yards today on just five receptions. Three of those catches went for 20-plus yards. He had a 33-yard catch. He had a 32-yard catch, had another one that was 21 yards on a slant. You've got to see the big big play capability in space. And he was the most dynamic weapon on the outside for the Seahawks. Geno Smith was looking for him early and often in this football game. And he also had a key block on Ken Walker, the third's touchdown, the first touchdown that Seattle had in this game. Metcalf was on the outside and helped seal up a big crease for Ken Walker, the third to explode through on a 13-yard touchdown. So it was a really solid all-around game for Metcalf. It's unfortunate that it came in another defeat, but he has really elevated his game in the last couple of weeks. He is reemerging as that bona fide number one receiver. You're seeing the big play capabilities. You're seeing him turn short passes into big plays. He's winning downfield. He's winning on extended plays. You're seeing some of that development from a player that still has room to grow in his fifth season. So another really impressive outing for Metcalf. I thought he and Smith had a really good game working together in spite of the fact that uh, there were circumstances that made it difficult to run their offense. They had offensive line injuries. Those two guys had big games. On the defensive side of the ball, there weren't very many players that I thought had positive impact performances for the Seahawks today, but the only one that managed to get to Mason Rudolph for a sack was Leonard Williams, and he did not have a perfect game. In fact, I think that he contributed to an extent to Seattle's issues stopping the run in the first half. There were a couple times the Steelers ran draws, and he got caught off guard and shot up upfield, opened up a big crease for the running backs to be able to work downhill, but he still had six tackles, which was in the top four in the team in today's game. He had a sack. He had two quarterback hits. He was effective getting after the quarterback. You couldn't say that about very many of Seattle's players. It felt like they only had a couple pressures in this game, and he was the only one that was able to get hits on the quarterback in this contest. So four sacks now for him since coming over from the Giants. He has been one bright spot, even in a game like today where he wasn't perfect, he made some mistakes, but had a couple of nice run stops, had two quarterback hits, had Seattle's only sack. He's really the only defensive player and, quite frankly, only special teams player that was warranted for getting a game ball in today's 
really disappointing effort on those two phases of the game. Up next, we're going to transition to our weekly stock watch, three up, three down, which players are hot coming out of today's game and which ones are going to be looking to play much better next week against the Cardinals in the season finale. Don't go away. You're listening to the post-game edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. If you have been paying close attention to the NFL season, we are now entering week 18. With the NFL regular season wrapping up, there's still time to get in the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 money line bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options that can easily be found in the Parlay Hub, including spreads such as the Seahawks being early road underdogs to the Cardinals in Week 18, player props such as DK Metcalf's receiving yard total or touchdown total this upcoming weekend over-unders, and much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the post-game edition of Locked on Seahawks here live from Lumen Field. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. We'll have our Monday musings, and we'll be answering your mailbag questions and much more. So make sure to listen in. That show will be coming up at 5 p.m. Pacific time. As usual, the Seahawks falling to 8-8 eight and eight today. A disheartening 20 or 30 to 23 defeat to the Pittsburgh Steelers, allowing over 450 yards to an offense that has struggled most of this season. It was a difficult game to watch. A lot of missed tackles, nine explosive plays allowed. The offense scored 23 points. The Seahawks were able to find some traction against a solid Steelers defense, but it wasn't enough with the defense struggling all afternoon long. Let's get to our three up, three down, our weekly stock watch, which players are hot coming out of today's game and which ones are not. Obviously, in defeat, it's a lot harder to find the positives. But one thing that really stood out to me throughout the second half, this was awful news at the time. Abraham Lucas banged his knee on the final play of the first half, and then they ruled him out to start the second half. Stone Forsythe stepped in at right tackle, and he's played quite a bit this year with all the injuries they've had, all the games that Lucas missed earlier this year on injured reserve. And without Lucas out there, Forsyth had to go against T.J. Watt. And he gave up one pressure by my count. And I may go back and watch the film, and it doesn't look quite as good as it did watching live. But he did a really fine job protecting Geno Smith in the second half. And I thought that there were a couple plays where he showed up as a run blocker. Even though the Seahawks didn't run the ball very much in the second half, you got to see him in pass protection. I thought Stone Forsyth had a really impressive performance considering he got thrown into the fire in the second half. He's going against arguably the best pass rusher in the entire NFL in T.J. Watt. And 
Geno Smith still had time to throw the football for the most part. And a big part of that was because of the pass protection that was granted to him by Stone Forsythe. I think overall this year has been a big year of growth for Forsythe with all the snaps that he's had to play. And you got to see that experience benefiting him today in a game against a really sound opponent in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that was impressive. Honorable mention to Olu Olu Timmy playing the center position as well. He made some mistakes in this game, had a low snap on a direct snap to running back Ken Walker to third. But again, he was thrown into a tough spot as a rookie, replacing an injured Evan Brown in the second half for a banged up offensive line. As far as my other two big winners in this game, got to mention Ken Walker the third with the performance he had. It's unfortunate that he re-aggravated a shoulder injury that's been bothering him. He spent a significant amount of time in the second half in the locker room before returning the play that he returned to action was literally the same play that Geno Smith got hit by Nick Herbig and fumbled. So we didn't get to see any more carries from him. He had most of his yards, 45 rushing yards on six carries in the first half, wasn't featured much in the second half with that injury and the fact the Steelers were eating up so much clock time with long, sustained possessions. But he had 53 yards, he scored a touchdown, had a couple scintillating runs. Before that touchdown, an 11-yard run on a duo run where he somehow managed to bounce it outside to the left and outran two defenders to the sideline, turned up field, turned what looked like no gain into an 11-yard run, scored on the very next play. He also had two catches for 18 yards, so he continues to be an asset in the passing game as well. My last big winner here, this is the state of the defense today. I think in most games, I wouldn't have flagged Devin Bush as a winner for this game because there were some bad plays by him out there today, particularly the goal line. He had a really bad whiff on Najee Harris, his former teammate in Pittsburgh, that allowed him to find his way into the end zone. That was one of the disappointing parts about today. Those two goal line touchdown runs were clearly the Steelers wanted it more than the Seahawks. But Bush also made several really nice plays against the run. He led the team with 17 tackles. He had a tackle for a loss. He was replacing one of Seattle's best players in Jordan Brooks. And, and I thought after a rough first half, I felt like his performance in the second half was much better. It almost seemed like he was a little bit rattled early going against his former team, and he was flying around making plays in the second half. A lot of those tackles, unfortunately, were too far downfield with the Steelers winning at the line of scrimmage, but he finished with 17 tackles. He did have a tackle for a loss. You got to see him be involved in the run game, helping hold the Steelers. It was not a dominant performance by any means, but they held them to 40 yards rushing in the second half. Bush was a part of that, being able to get downhill. He did a better job getting off blocks. So in a game where there were few positives on defense, his first extensive action this year as a starter, I thought that he did a decent job at that position. And quite frankly, I felt he played better than his counterpart, Bobby Wagner, who had some rough plays at the goal line as well and struggled in the run game much more than we've typically seen from him. So overall, I thought it was an encouraging game, albeit one with plenty of mistakes for Devin Bush. As for the other side of the equation, the three down, in a loss like this one, there's probably more than three candidates, but there's three that jump out to me. And I hate to pick on Tyler Lockett because a lot of this is not his fault, but coming off of a game where he had eight catches for over 80 yards in Tennessee, 
one reception on five targets today for 10 yards. Lockett was really a non-factor. There were a couple times the ball was in his hands and he was not able to hold on to it. One of them, he took an absolute shot for Miles Killebrew. The backup safety for the Steelers wasn't able to hold on to the catch through contact, but you expect your stud receivers to be able to make plays in contested situations, and Lockett was not able to do that. It was a really quiet game for him. Geno Smith tried to get him involved throughout the game, but this has been a theme for this season for Tyler Lockett. There's been a lot of games where the production has not been there. I don't know if he and Geno Smith just aren't quite on the same page. They certainly haven't been able to put up the same numbers as what Smith and Metcalf have been able to do most of the season. But uh, this was another effort that was disappointing for Lockett, who at this point uh, he would need to have a career game to get to 1,000 yards this year. It looks like that streak is going to end because he's had – so many games this year where the production has been underwhelming by his standards. Not the type of game you expect from number 16. And that played a role today in the Seahawks losing this contest. As for the defensive side of the football, two players that jumped out to me. Rick Woolen made a really nice pass breakup on the first drive of the game on fourth and five to turn the Steelers away without any points. So let's give him some credit for that. But there were a couple plays in this game defending the run that landed Reek Woolen on this not desirable list. The first one being near the goal line, the second touchdown for Najee Harris early in the third quarter. It looked like he was stonewalled at the four-yard line, and then the Steelers' offensive line started to push the pile a little bit, and Tariq Woolen had an opportunity to step in and at least try to help the defense push back and he just kind of stood there he was a bystander you cannot do that if you're a team player you got to get in the scrum and try to help out your teammates instead it felt like Bobby Wagner was by himself trying to tackle the running back with multiple offensive linemen behind him pushing him there wasn't any help Quandre Diggs kind of did the same thing there where he got a hand on the pile but didn't really do much to try to push it Reek Woolen was just standing there and then later in the game he became part of the turf when Najee Harris stiff-armed him into oblivion. And those are the kind of plays that have made it tough to watch at times for Reek Woolen in what has been an up-and-down sophomore season. His run defense last week, he played pretty well in that regard. This week, it really was a struggle. And it's difficult seeing how up-and-down his play has been this year. And the Steelers took advantage of it today. They were the more physical team, and they brought that physicality to Reek Woolen. He didn't seem like he was interested in stepping his game up and playing that physical brand of football. For that reason, he is on the three-down list. And another player that has been on this list way more than you would want to see, especially with the money the Seahawks paid him, Draymond Jones was on my three-up last week. I thought he had his best all-around game of the season in Tennessee. It was another underwhelming, forgettable performance today, though. The Seahawks did not get much pressure on Mason Rudolph. They had two quarterback hits, as I mentioned earlier, from Leonard Williams. They didn't get any from Draymond Jones. By my count, he didn't get any pressures. I don't remember a single time where he was anywhere close to sniffing the quarterback. He missed a goal-line tackle on Najee Harris on his first touchdown run where he had an opportunity to bring him down. There were two other times at the line of scrimmage where he had the ball carrier lined up and was not able to bring him down to the ground. So he's not contributing, as you were hoping, in the pass rushing department. He was a hindrance in the run game at times today. 
moving around the line. The Steelers were running the ball at him. This is a guy that you expect to be an impact player, and we just haven't seen that enough. And again, some of this is about expectations. It's like with Tyler Lockett, you are expecting Draymond Jones to be one of your best players. He had five tackles today, but it really felt like filler stats when you look at the game in real time with the tackles that he missed, the fact that there weren't any pressures, no quarterback hits today on Mason Rudolph. You just aren't getting enough out of number 55 right now for the investment that you made, bringing him over as a big name, big ticket free agent back in March. As always, you can follow me on X and threads at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, it's going to be a misery Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Rob Rang and I will be recapping today's events at Lumen Field, what went wrong for the Seahawks, in-depth takeaways, and answering your mailbag questions. Make sure you are listening in and enjoy the rest of your Sunday night. Go Hawks!